Listen, Metalworking Nation, if this pandemic has taught me one thing, it's that we need to accelerate our digital transformation. You can't get into shops the same way anymore. Business isn't done the same way as it once was, and it's only going to continue to trend in that direction. Let me tell you about a company that is doing just that. It's Zometry. So what is Zometry? Zometry is custom manufacturing on demand. They have over 5,000 partners, and their network has the capacity you need for prototyping and production. They're AS9100 and ISO 9001 certified, registered with ITAR. You can get an instant quote today for any of the services that you might need, whether it be CNC machining, 3D printing, injection molding, sheet metal, finishing services. You can even buy materials. Zometry is trusted by the engineers and purchasing leaders at the world's most successful companies like BMW, GE, NASA, Dell, and Bosch. Listen, if you want to turbocharge the way you make custom parts, check out Zometry. It's really easy. X-O-M-E-T-R-Y dot com and you can get a quote today. Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Nick Golner, and I'm joined by a veteran manufacturing leader pretending to be a radio star. Welcome, Jason Zenger. That's a great description. Thanks for welcoming me. And yes, I am pretending to be a radio star. I've been pretending for the last Oh, five years. Yeah, we're all pretending. Some of us are imposters. The original story that when I sat down to record the first episode of Making Chips, I sounded like a robot. Like I literally couldn't speak into the microphone (laughs) because I did feel like I was like, who do I think I am trying to record a podcast? Yeah. But there was no manufacturing podcasts out there. There was nothing for manufacturing leaders to come together as a community and kind of learn from each other. Who was I to do that? But I was trying. So do you know how I solved that problem, Nick? You got over your imposter syndrome? We got a glass of wine. <laughs> That'll help you. <laughs> yeah, that'll, we had a, gla- we had a glass up. or two of wine, loosened myself up, and then you know we came back and recorded. And here we are now, five years later, almost 300 episodes later. No, maybe not 300, 250 something. We're getting close. We're getting close. We'll call exactly. it 300. Yeah. We, we, we may need a recount. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we need a recount. There you go. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, today's going to be all about when you feel like an imposter. It's actually a real thing called imposter syndrome. Yeah, I don't, I don't suffer from that syndrome, but I think but you're going to tell feel, me about the it. the feeling you described was feeling like, uh, you know, who am I to be recording podcasts? I'm not a podcaster. That's a little bit Oh, okay. Syndrome. I thought it was just like I was learning and kind of like needed to find my voice. Yeah. Well, you can recover from imposters. Oh, yeah, That's you can. News. Yeah. I have, I have a little bit of a different take on that, but, but I guess we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll dig in. Yeah. yeah. I got to tell you today, I, I feel like an imposter and I have a confession to make. What's that? I'm on performance enhancing drugs. You are? Coffee? I'm on steroids. You are? Why? I actually just like totally threw out my back. Oh, okay. So they gave me some so steroids like, yeah. for my back. Yeah, that's a real thing. So not not quite a imposter syndrome type thing, but performance enhancing drugs nonetheless, because my performance was totally debilitated yesterday. I could, I could barely move. Yeah, just don't get hooked. I felt like I was 100 years old, like our other co-host. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's not here go. today? We miss you, Jim. Yeah, so we can pick on him while he's gone. Dig. Exactly. So we talked about my good news. My wife is pregnant. There's another little Golner in the manufacturing process. We're excited about that. But I want to hear what's exciting at 
your company? Well, I don't know of any little Zengers that are going to be coming. There's already four of them. I think and you shut that factory down. I, I, yeah, I, the, <laughs> I, the factory has been shut down. That's a, that's a good way of putting it. You know, maybe if we, you know, the only option for that out there is if we acquire we adopted, but some yeah, no more mergers and acquisitions, yeah, mergers, maybe. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I'm really excited that our new e-commerce site is going to be released by the end of the year. It's going to be a separate brand, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit more on the podcast when it actually does come out. But I'm super excited. It's completely integrated with our ERP system, which is all cloud-based, and I'm just excited for our customers to be able to order online from us from the products that we have in our stock. I mean, we've got three million dollars worth of inventory, and we don't have a website up, and that's just pitiful. So, but now I'm but it's super coming. Excited. It's com- it's and, and we've been year. working on it together. It's yeah. been exciting. I don't know what what time it is that this is going to be released, but it's going to be coming out. Soon. Well, I'm excited for your customers you. to buy tombstones from your e-commerce site. There you go. Tombstones, you cutting tools, <laughs> every everything metalworking that you could possibly imagine. E-commerce is the way to go, man. Yep. So how about some general manufacturing news? Yeah. Do you have some manufacturing I news do. for us? So I was asked by one of our prospects, hey, where do you see the market going? You know, what? How many tombstones do you think you're going to sell? That, that type of stuff. So I looked up some reports and I want to share that with the metalworking nation. Great. Love to hear it. So... U.S. manufacturing technology orders totaled 373.7 million in September 2020. This is from the latest report. An increase of 26.4% from August 2020 and the highest monthly total of the year, according to the USMTO report that is published by our friends at AMT. So that's fantastic. So what you're saying is that things are starting to move upwards from like kind of the heat of, you know, like COVID and, and everything like that. We've been that. talking about like this V-shaped recovery and it seems like things are really coming back. I talked to a couple other people in my market and October was a great month. This is saying that September was the highest increase that we've seen in a long time. But let me let me continue to read some comments from it. In addition to the positive numbers this month, we are now seeing the economic recovery reach a broader spectrum of the overall capital equipment market. That's from Douglas Woods, who's the president of AMT. Manufacturing is ramping back up as production, shipments, and order levels continue to improve throughout most sectors. The high demand for mold and dye products during the height of the pandemic led to reshoring portions of the industry's output. Additionally, a strong housing market continues to expand demand for household appliances, creating backlogs that will keep production lines busy into winter. Unfortunately, there are still a few soft spots. The aerospace and oil and gas sectors, representing almost a third of our industry's orders, will likely need several years to return to pre-COVID levels of shipments. That's what we're hearing. Well, you know, we received some information from an industry insider close to Washington, D.C., and what he was telling us was that the oil and gas industry has kind of hit its peak which is a little bit scary. And I can kind of see where it's dipped down really low because people aren't driving into work and stuff like that. And maybe it'll go up a little bit. But like with what I see coming, the surge of EV vehicles, I kind of agree. I don't know that that is going to go up too much higher than what it is. And I think aerospace is going to come back though. So even within industries, there's still some growth and some mm-hmm. soft spots as well. So, and, that, and that's what it continues to say. So it goes on to say, still opportunities exist even in the hardest hit sectors, such as growth in space and defense sectors of the aerospace industry. It's not like you can cluster the whole aerospace industry right, into course. one category. Commercial aerospace right. is what's suffering Yeah, I was the referring most. to commercial. 
And then unlike the recovery from the Great Recession, this recovery will not impact manufacturing sectors equally. Material handling, mold and dye, and firearms will have a better year in 2020 than in 2019. Well, duh, firearms are like on fire. We were just talking to a mutual customer that we have, and he's a firearms manufacturer and placed a nice order from for some fixtures from us through you guys which, yeah which yeah we exactly we sold him a bunch of really you know turnkey fixturing that's going to help him with his production you're going to love this last piece manufacturing technology cutting tools and industrial machinery will return to 2019 levels sometime next year but some key sectors will not see growth until after 2021 yeah i could see that i could see that it's going to be it's going to be an interesting you know couple of years i know that I listened to an economist who was talking about like going into a like a depression in 2029 and maybe like this whole covid thing has changed that especially with like a lot of the nearshoring that's going to be happening and stuff like that so that might shift and we might not see that happening at time period that, that what they're saying so it's it's going to be interesting to see how economists are reacting to you know what's happened in 2020 and kind of redoing their numbers for the future so you mentioned depression and we're talking about a, a mental syndrome, imposter syndrome that there you can be go. very depressing. So should we dig in? Yeah, let's go. So I'm going to define imposter syndrome the way that Harvard Business Review does to, to kind of kick this off. And I think this is a widespread problem in this industry. And I'll give some examples for why. Great. So here's the definition. Imposter syndrome can be defined as a collection of feelings of inadequacy that persist despite evident success. Imposters suffer from chronic self-doubt and a sense of intellectual fraudulence that override any feelings of success or external proof of their competence. So can I give you my first reaction to all yeah, of that? Yeah. So I generally think that everybody is an imposter. Okay. okay, okay. No, I'm serious. No, let's hear more. I, and, I, and I think that anyone who, like, for example, would accuse me of being an imposter or accuse anybody of being an imposter is a hypocrite. Because I think everybody is an imposter. Okay. I, I, I really do. And I don't generally think about it because I just think that there's not a new... Every idea that somebody calls an idea, even my own ideas, are just like regurgitations. Sure. And one of the first things that I thought about and this is kind of funny. So I, one of my routines in the morning, and I know, so this is just you and me, Nick, having this conversation so we can get a little bit deeper like this. So I read the Bible every morning. Yeah, okay? me too. And when you first emailed or texted and said that you're going to be doing this thing on the imposter syndrome, like literally in the Bible app that I read, this verse from Ecclesiastes came up. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I'm going to read this for you because I didn't prepare. I didn't, I didn't know the details what you're going to talk about. This just popped up and it came up, Ecclesiastes 1, 9 to 10. And the way it reads is, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. So basically, this was written thousands of years ago. And it's still true. It's still true. Like, there's nothing new under the sun. Sure. And anybody that says that they have something that's new, I think is, you know, either lying to themselves or just doesn't realize, you know, what's going on. But I think if you swing to the other side of the pendulum it does become a real problem for people that are normally from the outside world, like successful entrepreneurs, that they feel this way. Yeah. And so I'd love to hear your your perspective well, it's, on this. It's funny because I know who wrote Ecclesiastes and Solomon is like supposed to be the wisest man yeah, who ever lived, go. right? And, and he, he said he doesn't even have anything that's new. Sure. So here's my experience with imposter syndrome. I, th- I think I've mentioned before, like I shouldn't have been a manufacturer. That's not right. kind of my natural MO. I'm not into math. I'm not into science. I'm an artist. Okay. I always was. And so- 
my family has just got like a long line of very smart engineers, machine inventors. My grandfather literally invented a machine tool and I was like, So you're like the black sheep. I felt like it a little bit maybe. And so the other thing that kind of made me feel like an imposter is just growing up in this business, I was always around manufacturing and I knew a few things, but there would be times where I would like kind of raise my hand or ask a question or maybe think I have the answer to a question and I would say something wrong. Like uh, 5, 8, 11, 13 thread. Like, well, you know, you're adding numbers there. Like, that's not really it, right? So like you were always afraid to answer the question because you thought you didn't want to be like called out for being wrong. Yeah. So I didn't even want to like ask questions. Yeah. I didn't even want to raise my hand. And, and there was times where I would say something dumb and like one of the leaders of our company would be like, who's this guy? Yeah. Are you, Sheetmar's Sheetmar, kid? are you sure that's your son? Yeah, like he doesn't know what he's talking about. So what it did is it it kind of held me back and it it caused me to not ask questions right. that I didn't have the answer to because I didn't want to expose my ignorance. And even to this day, like the, the other day I was on a sales trip and I was talking about like how tight the grinding tolerances we can get at AMER. And I was like, yeah, we can do like, we grind things down to 40 microns. And then I was like, that's really not that tight of a tolerance, you know? And I, <laughs> <laughs> I meant to say it's 40 millionths, yeah. but like the M and the M right. thing screwed it up. Yeah. So so it was just kind of funny and I'm able to laugh about it now, but I think I go back to like the earlier version of myself in the industry and I would have just been like, they think I'm an idiot. I'm such an imposter. They know, like, I don't know what I'm talking about like I should. And it really did hold me back. Yeah. I mean, I think that if anybody pretends like they know everything and they're an expert. I know like, you know, call Jim out for a minute, you know, Jim. <laughs> Jim, Jim just because he's not here. Yeah, just because he's not here. He, some, I mean, I love Jim, but he, you know, he loves to pretend like he knows everything. <laughs> Remember no, when he but... argued with Tony Schmitz <laughs> about, about rigidity? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But you know what? You got to give Jim some credit in that he he puts himself out there. And you he, know what I mean? And he, he really and he's does okay know with, a lot. He's yeah, a he really does know leader, a lot. But... Yeah, yeah, exactly. There is something to be said about like, you know, kind of that shame in, you know, saying something and being wrong about it. But at some point, how else are you going to learn and advance yourself unless you are okay with being wrong every once in a while? Yeah. And I think this is a, this imposter syndrome is more rampant in this industry than many others. Yes. In I that HBR so. article, they're like, it's very common in like med students who are like at the top of their class, but there's always like some brain surgeon who knows more and they, they, just constantly feel like they're inadequate, right? Yep. Even though they're some of the smartest people in this country. I think the same goes for this industry. I think this industry is full of ultra precise, highly technical industry leaders that can become snooty engineers or yep. like, oh, I've been doing this for so long. I've, I've made this many different kinds of parts on this many different kinds of machines. I programmed this, I programmed that, I can do all of this. And then they kind of get this like chip on their shoulder thing. And, and that's what creates imposter syndrome in the next generation. And so I I really think this is an industry that suffers from it. So, Jason, I'm going to quiz you on how well you know my life and my business. You're making a big assumption that I want to know more about you. Well, I know you don't, but if you get this right, I know enough about it already. So, we have a new partnership with a key machine tool builder, and I've been talking about it a lot. What machine tool builder am I talking about? I think it starts with an O, Okuma. Okuma, you're right. And honestly, one of the coolest things about it is now that we're in the Think program with Okuma, we're able to talk about more than just machinery. And I'm talking with their marketers, I'm talking with how they're preparing for the IMTS Spark and how we're preparing for the IMTS Spark. You know, Spark. we had that interview with Peter Elon, and he, and he was saying that Okuma's got a big presence on IMTS Spark. They do. They put a ton of work into it. Can you call one of their people and find out more about it? Yeah, them? I'll call Tim Thiessen. Do it. All right, we'll get him on the line. 
Hey, Tim. Hey, Tim. It's Nick from Making Chips. What's up, man? I'm good. So I was talking to some of the folks at Advance, and we're looking at some double-column machines, and Okuma's name was at the top of the list. And then I was thinking, okay, how can, how can I find more about that? We put a lot of effort into our Spark booth, but I've heard some pretty exciting things about yours. I don't know if you call it a booth or what you guys call it, but tell me about the efforts Okuma has made to make the Spark experience with IMTS special. disappointed with events and uh and so what we've what we've learned is a whole heck of a lot when it's come to building up for these different events and and now spark is an ongoing platform has given us an, an opportunity to actually use some of what we've learned and so you know what i would tell you is we, we're learning how to use these virtual tools and probably in a much more effective and quick manner you know, being able to display the technologies. And we've done that with application engineers and, of course, product specialists and a lot, of, a lot more people participating in the process than probably ever before. So I think we've already pulled off three. The first one was five-axis. The second one was multitasking. And the third one was uh, basically had to do with getting your machine tool connected, either connected within the four walls of your building or maybe connected to our local distributor or Akuma or throughout your corporation, uh, harnessing the power of the machine's control. So it's been pretty exciting. And I think one of our next subjects has to do with cost of ownership. We're enjoying it right now. So are, are you talking about like some sort of w- webinar type experience that if, if I visited your exhibition on Spark, I could cap- catch all that that you just brought up? Yeah. So, so we have a they call it kind of a showroom, uh, a location on Spark that's an Akuma showroom location. And when you go there, some of our technologies are represented on that page. You can also link to our website from that page. But then each and every month, the platform, Spark platform, is giving us an opportunity to do a uh, kind of like a webinar. It's about 15 minutes long on whatever subjects that we want to talk about. So the, the three that I mentioned to you, uh, have been performed since the beginning of October. And so I think we've got like another eight of them to go until the end of March. And so, you know, customers can go to Spark and look into the schedule and see, you know, what's coming from us and what's coming from other builders and, and the topics. And, you know, hopefully they see some value in it and can come and watch it live or can come access the, the recording of it later on. Yeah, that that is really interesting. And Speaking of live, so typically when we're researching to make a new capital investment, we'll go to a show like IMTS and we'll talk directly to like an applications engineer or some sort of product specialist in like your booth. Is there anything that you're doing similar to that where it's it's more one-to-one? You mentioned kind of the one-to-many webinars that could be helpful to anybody, yeah. but could, could my procurement team kind of meet with you and, and talk about that? Yeah, so we... We were fortunate in that last year we started implementing a new system, uh, Microsoft Dynamics, and uh, along with that was Microsoft Teams. And we hadn't really touched Microsoft Teams until COVID hit. And just in the short period of time, what we've learned is how easy it is to connect with one another, share screens, incorporate video, and things like that. So, you know, what we used to think was a long, drawn-out process to set up a WebEx event with somebody, 
you know, now we're understanding it, it doesn't have to be that complicated. And we can do it a lot of times at a moment's notice. So as you suggested with your team, you know, a lot of our team can't travel right now. So if, if you need to speak with a, a controls guy and a lathe guy and your local, my local regional guy who would normally be there, I can probably look out my door and say, guys, can we get on a call in 10 minutes and, and talk about this subject? And, and so, you know, now that we're familiar with the tools like Teams and uh, we've, we've been implementing our GoPros and other things, we can do things live. And a lot of times it's hybrid. It's kind of a, you know, we've got some, some content that we created for IMTS Network and IMTS Spark and our own website that while we're on a Teams call, we may already have something in a library that we draw into that conversation or we go out to a machine that we have in the showroom. You keep mentioning content and you mentioned, you know, that in the past you didn't feel like there was always a great ROI on some of the events that you did. One thing that we're learning at our company is preparing for something like Spark almost forces us to focus more on the content that that lives a lot longer than a trade show would live. So has, have you guys felt the same sort of transformation? Absolutely the same way. So everything that we've learned in preparing, as you said, I know is going to make our website better. It's going to make the things that we're doing on social media better because, you know, what we're, what we're understanding is where we used to go out and maybe do a 30-minute presentation on, a let's say, an OB3000 lathe, we might video shoot it or whatever. Now we're... Now we're understanding we might want to break that down to its smaller parts. We might still have the full 30-minute video, but now we want to be able to have the spindle, the turret, the automation, those things separated so that if I'm on a call or I'm getting ready to put together a presentation, I can bring in these bits and pieces and use them in different ways that I want to use them. And uh, we just weren't thinking that way before. You know, We just go shoot another 30-minute video specific to what we needed. So it just... You know, these kind of things, uh, necessity is the mother of invention, I guess, is what they say. It's been it's been exciting. And, and the other part of it is just being able to see so many people on our team being able to contribute to the effort. It's not just the product special. It's application engineers, our marketing group, our software guys, our, our, the guys out in the shop that are putting options on or even getting involved in some of this. Well, you've definitely got me excited about it. And I think I'm going to go right now to your Spark exhibition and check out some of these new inventions that you're talking about. So really appreciate the time and, you know, wishing you the best for the future. Hey, no problem. We'll be there. All right. We'll see you, man. Thanks, Nick. So when you talk about imposter syndrome, is it two things? So like when I think imposter syndrome, I'm thinking about like somebody who steals somebody else's idea. But what you're also talking about with imposter syndrome is somebody who thinks that they know more than what they actually do. Yeah, but imposter syndrome is when you actually do know a lot and you feel like an imposter. Right. You feel like you're faking it when you're right. really not. You feel like if I give the answer to this like it might not be all the way right or there might be someone who knows more than I do. So, an imposter would be someone who's like pretending to know a lot more than they do, like hey, I'm a PhD thinker when it's like you don't know anything about this. Right. That's a real imposter. Right. Imposter syndrome is when you're actually that smart but you feel like an imposter. You never feel gotcha. like you are. You and, that, and that's what this industry's full of. 
if you think about what we're asked to be as manufacturing leaders, we're asked to be craftsmen who can make things with their hands. Mm-hmm. We're asked to be like PhD level engineer thinking sometimes. We're, we're asked to be MBA level business leaders. And there's very few people who are awesome at all of that. Yeah, that's very true. So it's, so you end up just feeling like inadequate, especially in this industry when maybe you you got to where you got as a manufacturing leader because you were an amazing craftsman or maybe you were an amazing business person but you didn't go through a shop and learn how to run all the machines there's all sorts of different reasons why you can feel like an imposter and i think what it does is it, it prevents the community from sharing where they're really strong and some someone else in the community could be really strong where they're really weak and we could all rise together well th- i definitely think that's true and i think that that has changed a lot and and i hope that you know making chips we've been a part of that change and that you know like in the old days and jim talks about this sometimes people used to hide everything mm-hmm. so there used to be this this mentality of you know i need to hide my prints i need to hide my expertise i'm not going to share it with other people and it was just this level of like this hoarding mentality because you didn't want somebody to get the order that you had. And whereas people should be thinking, I'm going to share my knowledge with other people. And I think that that's changed a lot. I think people now are seeing that they do need to share their knowledge and people do need to ask questions and people do need to be wrong. And I think that you know there's a lot, a lot of good that social media has done for that in order to kind of pay, make people feel a little bit more vulnerable in asking those questions because I think in general the industry has moved to where they're not going to, you know, shame somebody because they say something stupid. I mean, I've seen a lot of people making a lot of comments on, you know, like kind of the Insta machinist Instagram. Oh, they're network. brutal sometimes. Well, are they brutal? So, I, oh, I've sometimes. seen them more I've yeah. seen them more encouraging than anything. I don't know. I think that there's certain people definitely that that can be brutal. Yeah. But I think even those people get a little bit weeded out too because nobody wants to to listen to that. I'm glad you brought that up because my next point was I think that this has a big impact on the skills gap. And so yes, you brought absolutely. up the people who are encouraging and like maybe someone posts the wrong answer to something and then someone corrects them in a nice way. But there's there's this like quote, you know, the fastest way to get the right answer is to post the wrong answer. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. Like everyone likes to jump on that and be like, yeah. why, why are you doing it that way? I have an example from our industry. Okay, uh, go. I'm not going to say his name because I didn't ask his permission to do this, but there's a young man in his early 20s mm-hmm. who is the brightest marketing mind that I know in, in the industry. Okay. And he, not only does he like do all the web stuff, all the social media stuff, he's got, a, he's got a broad following. He actually like concepts fixtures for his customers because they sell fixturing products. Okay. He, he's like laying things out in CAD. He's working with his father, who's the founder of the company. He's, he's a brilliant kid who's like 22 years old. Yep. And he was telling me, he's like, man, I just feel so stupid all the time. He's like, you wouldn't realize how dumb I feel all the time. People call me and they're asking me if it can do this, this, and this, and I don't have the answer. And he's like, I just, he's like, I just get sick of feeling like I don't know things that I feel like everyone thinks I should know. And I'm like, dude. But why did, why do you think that you should know that? I'm like, you're 22 years old. Right, exactly. If I knew what you knew when I was 22 exactly. years old, I would be at a totally different level. And it's like, ah, oh man, I just felt so bad for him because I, I've been in the same place mm-hmm. where I've said the wrong thing or or I've tried to like post something on social media about one of our business units and I, and I kind of exposed my ignorance in, in how I worded something. And then my phone rings off the hook from Willie, my grandfather, or some, some leader in our company. Like, why would you post it? That's not how you're supposed to say that. You got mm-hmm. you got a decimal in the wrong place or something like that. And it's like, oh, geez, I'm sorry. You know, and yep. it causes you to not want to do it anymore. Yeah, it causes I you to it. not want to ask any more questions. I get it. And so I, th- that's kind of where I'm getting at, where like this syndrome can 
can hold this industry back and it can create a wider skills gap. So what's how do we solve this problem? Well, I think it can work both ways. So when when a younger person knows a lot, maybe they're they're more advanced digitally, maybe they're better with code or things that maybe the younger generation grew up around more mm-hmm. than the older generation, feel free to raise your hand and be like, hey, do you want me to show you something? Can I teach you something? Right. But at the same time, the older generation who, you know, was used to working with their hands, used to like going through more, maybe more of a traditional education, like a apprenticeship style education where you actually had shop class in high school and things like that. You know, he he needs to be like willing to show and share his knowledge with with the younger generation. But sometimes they both feel like imposters. Mm-hmm. The older generation may feel like an imposter because all this digital stuff makes their head spin. The younger generation may feel like an imposter because, you know, maybe the traditional craftsmanship of manufacturing makes their head spin. And instead of collaborating, they just sit there and live in solitude with their imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. It's, it's crazy. So as I was reading about this, I was like, we should do a show on imposter syndrome and and what to do about it. So in short, what to do about it is communicate. Okay. I mean, that's honestly what I think. There's there's things like in, in our business here at Making Chips that you know a lot more than I do about. And I just ask you, Right. But if yeah. we weren't so close, if I didn't, if I wasn't able to trust you or if I thought you were going to be like, wow, this guy doesn't know, you know, what he should know about accounting or this guy doesn't know what he should know about whatever it is I'm asking you about, I would kind of like let that syndrome keep me from learning and vice versa. There's a bunch of things you've asked me about web stuff. Sure. And we share freely. And I think that's what making chips is really all about. I think it's unfortunate that people do feel that way. I mean, I I don't know. I guess I've never had a problem with being wrong about things. And, yeah. you know, it's, I've never really felt that. But my understanding is that, you know, like the, this whole in, imposter syndrome is is very prevalent among successful women, actually. Mm-hmm. And that's, they're very one of true. the ones that, you know, kind of, you know, or, or people that are more like perfectionists or have the appearance that they're kind of doing everything like they own a business and they run a family and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And they're kind of suffering from this. Well, I'm just, you know, people are going to figure out that I don't know, actually know what I'm doing here. And, and you probably know more than you think. Yep. You know, and, and yep. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up about, Okay, uh, successful women. So in this industry, we've had some amazing women on. Right. And I remember talking with Sarah Weirman. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. And she was like, you know, there's a lot of things I don't know. I just ask questions exactly. and I learn. And so instead of feeling like an imposter, like what is a pretty girl doing in this industry selling cutting tools? It was more like, well, I just ask a lot of questions. And once I learn something, I want to share it with everybody else. Yep. It's yep. like, perfect. That's the cure. Exactly. I mean, I did, you know, like at the beginning stages, like you mentioned before of already making chips. I mean, there was this kind of aura of, well, you know, who am I to start a podcast? I mean, I was basically nobody. I mean, I still don't feel like I've like achieved any kind of like greatness because of this, but so you don't try to get a first class ticket because of uh, being a, no, I I don't think, I don't think that making (laughs) chips is going to, is going to help me with that. But I mean, you know, People just enjoy the platform that was created. And, exactly. You know, it's it's been a blessing to be a part of it, and I don't have to you know stake my own self worth on you know what happens here. And I think that that's that's part of it is that people just stake so much of their worth in what they do or what they know that that's where you know a lot of this comes from. Yeah, and you would you wouldn't think of the feel the feeling of being inadequate. You wouldn't equate that with having too big of an ego, but they're totally aligned. When yeah. when you when you think you need to be something that you don't actually need to be, you're always going to feel inadequate because you're putting your own ego on a pedestal. You have to be perfect. You have to always have the right answer. You can't ever ask a stupid question. Yep. And yep. that's really just ego. 
Yeah, it is. And so it'll it'll hold you back. Yep. I even think like I felt so silly, like I didn't even want to share it, but we I won some award from NTMA. Yeah. Like emerging leader or something like that. And I commented on it, thanked people, but I didn't want to share it. Yeah, I like, I, I get it. I get it. Like, Cause I didn't want, you know, there's so many other people my age that are way further along than yeah. I am. They know so much more than I do. Yeah. So it's like, I don't even really want to share this. So that's funny. So I've got a little bit of a story related to this. So my, my wife is actually one of the most confident people that I know, confident and humble. And she, I think I've told you about this before. So she was on, on the show, The Bachelor before oh, as, a, yeah. as a contestant. Ooh. And we were watching the show, not her, not the show that she was on, but a, a show of that last night and this is her expressing this you know a beautiful woman was the bachelorette and she just had this aura of not having self-confidence and one of the things she was telling me she was like you know when i was on the show half the women there were like legit models and all of them had self-esteem problems because they put so much of their Mm self-worth into what they look like that any kind of semblance of not looking perfect made them feel like they didn't have any worth. And it it is that same thing in our industry where people stake so much of their worth in their knowledge and their expertise and stuff like that, that it causes not only them to have problems when they're wrong, but other people that they should be training and giving that knowledge out to feel like they can't even speak up and be be wrong in certain situations in order to learn some more. In other words, imposter syndrome is contagious. It can be you contagious. You can catch it from yes. somebody else. Yes. You can you can catch them being afraid to ask a question and all of a sudden you're afraid to ask a question. Yeah. So I think one of the big things that you can solve in this and I and, and I tell my team this all the time, like I'm the leader of the company, but they have every right to go to me and say, "Tell me if I'm wrong in this thinking." Okay. I throw things out as like trial balloons. So I'm like, this is what I'm thinking about the next steps that we should take. And you, everybody here in the room is allowed to say, you know what, Jason, that's probably not a good idea. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that kind of solidified that way that I've been leading for a long time was when I was reading this new book, Humanocracy, and they talk about the smartest leaders out there Think about the very, very best leader. I forgot the, the person that they mentioned. He, he was like the CEO of GE at one point. He was like the famous CEO of GE. Jack Welch? Yeah, probably. Yeah. They, yeah. And they were saying like they did some kind of study. And these people that are these amazing leaders were wrong more often than if you took the cumulative knowledge of like the average worker at the factory. Like if you just took all of their decision making and got them to collaborate and make a decision, they were right more of the time than your smartest, you know, PhD successful leader of a Fortune 100 company. Yeah, it's the whole two heads are better than one thing. Exactly. So, and that's why people just need to be open to saying, "Hey, let's figure this out together. Let's be wrong a little bit together." Yeah. Because we're doing this for the greater good, and nobody has to have any shame in asking a question or being wrong in what they say. I'm glad you brought up that example because for me. I'm like you. We have a lot of ideas, right? And you're like the president of your company, right? Yes. Yeah. So I'm not. Okay. And I don't think I ever will be. I don't want to be. Sure. The highest I ever want to be is like a CMO, right? But okay. So when I talk to the president of our, our company or the COO of our company, I'll lay out like, hey, here's a big idea. I think we should move in this direction. And then he'll do what he does. He's very skeptical and he'll try to poke some holes in it. All right. And we've come to the understanding that that's not offensive to me at all. In fact, I need it. I need him to tell me like, hey, there's some good here, but watch out for this, 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 and this. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I fear that like if I was the highest position, everyone would be afraid to tell me things that could go wrong. 
and I would be so but I'd be wrong so much more. But off. but but that's what I'm saying. Like as a leader, the the smartest thing that you can do, and probably the most humbling thing that you could do, is just be the person that facilitates. You know the best answers from the group because right. the group is going to be right more often than you are by yourself. It reminds me of something my brother said. He's he's like a lean guy, you know, one of these like lean gurus. And he said, um, you know, it's all about eliminating waste and lean. And he said the biggest form of waste in a company is unused employee creativity. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Exactly. And imposter syndrome could be the one of the biggest causes of a lack of creativity in your organization is people are afraid to look like an imposter. Even the smartest people are afraid to share all their knowledge. Yeah, and that, and that, and that creativity brings you to making better problem-solving decisions, better decisions on what the vision of the company is and what the mission you should be doing on a daily basis. So everybody out there, I think, needs to really cultivate people to ask questions, be wrong, and to take all of the best answers from the group and not necessarily you know, shame people for being wrong or rely on just only one person. Right. So as we're talking... I'm thinking about different people who I think are extremely bright in one way or another. And sometimes I feel like they may have a little bit of this imposter syndrome. It's usually the brightest people that suffer the most. What would you do? Like if you were to recognize someone in your team, what advice can we give a manufacturing leader who either suffers from this or who recognizes that somebody else is suffering from this? What would your advice be to them? I that, I think that's easy is you tell your team that you need their feedback in order to be a better leader. And then you tell them that you're going to ask them some questions and you want their answers to those questions. And it's not a matter of being right or wrong. You're just looking for ideas in order to, you know, solve this problem or to, you know, just bring some more creativity to whatever the situation is. And that's something that I tell my team all the time. I'm like, let's throw out some ideas here. Let's be okay with being wrong. And let's, you know, just put everything out on the table and and actually call people out. And that could be, you know, one-on-one calling somebody out or calling somebody out in a group. And I think that everybody will eventually speak up if you instead of like shaming people for having the wrong answer, you call people out for shaming other people, I think that that's where you're going to be more successful yeah. as yeah, a team. Yeah, it's a really good one. And it's, it really is about like the journey of continuous improvement. Yes. You know, the worst thing you could do is just give somebody the answer. And the other worst thing that you could do, maybe the second worst thing that you could do is mock them for having a, an answer that isn't what you would have done. Right. You know, this is about experimenting and seeing what would work. Yeah. So I think What do you think? Good. Do you have an answer to that? Yeah, I, I think for me, it would be, it would go back to that unused employee creativity thing. So if we have a problem, a challenge that we need to solve, I need to be asking, okay, what are some hypotheses that, that the team can provide? What should we test? You know, and, and make, like you said, make them give you the next thing. Well, what if we tried this? Or what if we tried that? Or what if we tried that? Those are all things we can test toward the solution. But n- nothing is, I would call someone out for not ever bringing in a new idea. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, thank you for sharing yeah, your wisdom no, thanks. with this us. This is interesting to think about. I actually thought when we first started this that imposter syndrome was centered around taking ideas from other people, but I guess it's, it's something that's a little bit different. So yeah. I, I definitely learned something that it's not necessarily um, about that. It's it's feeling like an imposter when, right. you're actu- when you're actually not. Yep. At the end of the day, if your mindset holds you back, you won't be as productive. And if you're not as productive, you're not making chips. And if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. 
Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution, and many of them are at makingchips.com. I thought you were supposed to ask me about my good news. I'm going to. Oh, okay. But you have to act like you care about that. Oh, well, I already acted like I cared once. I know. <laughs> Just following the script here. I didn't know the order. So I'm not a Pro Shop user. No, you're not. They're a great sponsor of ours, and we hear a lot about Pro Shop from you, Jim. And one thing that's kind of surprising to me in, in a really good way for them is as I travel, I spend about a third of my life on the road. Yeah. As I travel, this year I've had like three or four different companies yeah. that are all either using Pro Shop and have amazing things to say about really? it. Really? Or they're like one time I walked in and they were telling me, yeah, that's Pro Shop on the screen, but we're just like analyzing which ERP we were going to switch to. They're blowing up, Nick. I mean, seriously, I know, I mean, just from talking to Paul, he's a busy man and you're just hearing about him everywhere. I was like, look, I don't use ProShop, but everyone I know who does absolutely loves it. So, But in all seriousness, you're going into these shops across America yeah. and you see it on their yeah. screen and you're like, oh my God, yeah. This- I've seen that before. And I'm like, is that ProShop? They're like, yeah. yeah. And one of them was just a, right on the fence about to pull the trigger. You know, maybe Paul should run for president in 2024. He's that <laughs> I would, popular. He would have my vote, man. So go to ProShopERP.com for more information. Yep.